This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Spurgeon spins it back in behind the net for Kaprizov. Down to the right circle, Zuccarello shoots, tipped at the back door by Kaprizov. And the Wild take a 1-0 lead just 44 seconds into the first period. Garland, right wing, into the corner for Kravtsov. Centers for Besser, one-timer, he scores! A beautiful pass by Vitaly Kravtsov lands right on the tape of the Minnesota native Brock Besser. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Kaprizov left wing into the Vancouver zone on goal stop by Demko. Got his own rebound and scored. Kirill Kaprizov follows up the play and scores his second of the game. On the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks drop a 2-1 decision on home ice against the Minnesota Wild. A tight battle. The Wild come out in front. And this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Big Nazar. Going to bring in Randeep Janda into the discussion in just a moment's time. A great call by Batch and Randeep as always. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. You're toll free, one 275 And it was a game where the Canucks, for the most part, held it together. Minnesota did carry play for the most part, but they stayed close. We talk about trying to keep your structure a bit better. We saw some of that from the Canucks. Not a ton of breakdowns. Thatcher Demko did a pretty good job. The Canucks generally clean. And they almost came close to tying it. I mean, we've seen games like this before where you're playing a bigger opponent and it ends up being a pretty lopsided high-event hockey game. It was anything but a high-event hockey game here tonight, Randy. No, it, it looked like maybe early on in the first period where they got some Minnesota got some great A opportunities in the middle of the ice that it could go that way, but that's not the DNA of Minnesota. And the Canucks did a better job throughout the game of containing the Wild uh, as far as getting to the middle of the ice. So you're right, and this is you know, a big special, a low-event hockey game, right? That's kind of yeah. that's kind of what uh, Bick loves with his uh, Dallas Stars infatuation from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a better defensive play, but it was it was low event, but yeah. I, I don't know if it was It wasn't Dallas Stars from last year, no. Yeah, right? Like, that was compact lockdown. Yep. This was, let's keep everything to the outside. And honestly, like, outside of Pekolzin, who was trying to push the tempo to try to get to prime scoring areas. Kraftsov. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. Pekolzin and Kraftsov together, yeah. and they well, were probably the, the shining example. But outside of the power play, like, yeah, it's all well and good that they kept it close, but... I think it was it stayed close because the Canucks didn't give up a ton. That's, the that's thing. what It didn't generate anything, yeah. but they didn't give up a lot. Part of that was also, and you talk about generating, I think Minnesota did a great job of taking out the speed of Elias Pettersson, especially sure. in the third period. In that neutral zone, you could see, even when they're trying to get that late attack where just clog up the neutral zone and all right you're the puck carrier you have effectiveness at this we're going to make sure that when you try to come up the left hand side or through the middle that there's one or two guys that are just enveloped all over you and we saw that especially late in the game and I think that's credit to Minnesota's just their style of play they're not going to score on you and what another 2-1 game they just beat the Islanders Mm 2-1 but they'll suffocate you essentially to a certain extent where they get two goals and that's enough so as much as the Canucks tried and you mentioned Pod Colson Excellent game. I know he got in the uh, the grill of Mark Andre Fleury a couple of times. Minnesota didn't like that, but that's what you want to see from Vasily Podkols and lower that shoulder and use your speed, use your size. But unfortunately for the Canucks, he was the only one that could really generate. Shouts to Vasil- uh, Vitali, uh, sorry, Vitali Kravtsov, though. I-, I thought he played. You know, the pass is one thing, but that battle he had with Jordan Greenway down low, guys, I was that's showing you something, right? That's showing that he's a, yeah. yeah, he won the puck. He was engaged in that battle. I thought he had a, a pretty solid game. You know, it's one of those things where he showed 
the tools he has. Yep. And he didn't put it all together, but he showed what he can do when he does put a few shifts back-to-back and gets a little bit of confidence. And it was really evident, I thought, in that second period and heading into the third. He kind of kept growing into the game, and it all started in the first period where uh, I think he was he, bl- he got in a, a shooting lane, gets the puck out of his own zone, gets it up ice, takes the right space, and then he's ready for the shot. And he gets a great shot on. I mean, maybe one of the best scoring chances the Canucks had in this game was that Kraftstoff chance in the first period. He gets in the slot, gets a shot off really quickly. And from that point, it just seemed like he got better and better as the game went on. That play, too, you can see how effective both of those guys were. Because put Coles in, shepherds the, the, the pass a certain way, picks off a loose puck, and mm-hmm. engineers that chance for Kravstov. But that's the sort of stuff you're going to be looking for from Kravstov, right? You're looking for glimpses, obviously. And for him to generate a, a chance early on in the game, big for his confidence. And that... Those two, to me, were the Canucks' best forwards tonight. For sure. And I, I think even after those two plays that Pod Colson drove the net, did you notice the first guy in? Oh, yeah. Uh, Vitaly Kravtsov is looking out for his boy. And it, that you want to see that, right? The, the rest of the season here is about evaluation of what their play looks like. But even beyond that, you know, who's going to engage in that? Those battles, who's going to engage for their boy? And, and, and that, to me, I, I like seeing that because it shows you that he's coming into this team saying, yep, I know this guy, and I got his back feel bad because we spend all this time analyzing plays and angles and passes and it's just like oh just vibes hey man at this <laughs> your point, friends on your line it just it's just vibes good. Vi- he played well though vibes. if the vibes yeah. were if the vibes were vibes were good but he didn't play well then it doesn't matter but, in the end, but right? for both of them right yeah. like we can all see the potential in this for sure Colson. and there's some nights where we think that's a top 10 pick it looks cool tonight was one of those cool nights where okay the goals weren't a plenty or anything like that, yep. but you saw a strong mm-hmm. night from Vasily Colson, and I don't want to reduce it all to, wow, he must be psyched to be playing with his buddy on the line. But it it's kind of hard not to do that sometimes. For sure. It probably helps a little bit, and he was out there with the goalie pulled uh, yes. late in the game because he was playing a lot better, and you know he got more ice time as the game went on. Vasily Colson, a long-term project, obviously, still a guy that needs a bit more time, but... His, him and Kraftsov, there's a lot of size on those wings, right? You're talking about two guys. Kraftsov is sneaky big. Like, he, he looks tall out there, too, like 6'3", maybe 6'4", even. Um, and well, Jake Middleton usually towers over everyone. Yeah. And suddenly Kraftsov and Matilda are like, oh. Well, yeah, he's, he's a big guy. comparable. And if those yep. guys can win along the boards, which they did tonight, all they need is a center between them. And, and then that gets interesting if you're able to repeat these performances. And I don't have the Milstein clients listed up right now. <laughs> All right. Can Gabrikov right play now? center? Beyond <laughs> Can he be a fourth-line checking center? <laughs> hey, actually, by the way, like, shout-out to Sheldon Drives as well, yes. being part of that line, because there were moments where he's on top of the crease causing disruption. Yeah. Obviously, we talked about the uh, the goal during the intermission, but even another chance, Kraftsaw sneaks it to him right in front of t- on top of Flurry, and he's got to go to the forehand, spins around, trying to jam it in. But we talked about getting to those dirty areas. Drives was also doing that all night. It wasn't just those two guys. And I think the motivation is important, right, where you look at Kravtsov and you look at Pod Coles and you know where they're at in their careers, mm-hmm. early days. With Sheldon Drives, this is a long runway, probably the longest runway he'll have in his career to show what he can do. He's shown what he can do at the AHL, but now to score, what, nine goals in the NHL, this is also showing the Canucks, but other organizations that, hey, I can be I can be a player for you. So I think that motivation for different players on this team, and, you know, sometimes we talk about what, after the trade deadline, what are guys playing for? Well, they're playing for their next contract or having the organization that they're playing for right now invest in them. Sheldon Dries is a part of that conversation, guys, and he's doing a pretty good job. No, I thought I thought Dries has, in terms of offensively and defensively, to, to Bick's point, there are certain times where he has issues, but he's, 
I think he's done a better job of making smart offensive plays mm-hmm. that doesn't lead to him any chances going the other way. And even though he's never going to be a smart defensive player on his own end, if he limits certain things as a center, it can help you in your transition game. But I did want to, uh, before we let you go here, I did want to speak about Quinn Hughes for a moment. If there's a player who's more excited than Quinn Hughes about Philip Horonic coming to Vancouver, I've yet to see one. And hey, Quinn Hughes excitometer when you see him, it's only it was it, it's it's always at two. It's always at two. So it went up to maybe a three and a half or a four today when talking about Philip Horonic. But he said we don't want to be here for a rebuild. And yep. here's another game where Quinn Hughes had to play 26 minutes a game. Um, and Horonic's not going to step in on Saturday and help you out, but. We see a situation where you can't be running Quinn out this much, and it can't just be his pair being the only pair that gives you a chance to be competitive in hockey games. We marvel at how special he is, and when we start looking at you know how many points he's put up, and he's breaking Canucks defenseman records left, right, and center already in his young career, but usage is going to be important here, right? You don't want to wear this guy down. To your point, he what played 25 minutes on average this year um, in every game, and that's going to go up after tonight's game. But Philip Ronick is going to help this guy just to, to balance out those minutes where, guys, in the final, what, three and a half minutes of this game, I think he went to the bench for about 10 seconds, mm-hmm. and then Thatcher Demko goes out of the crease, and he's back on the ice. So you want to make sure that he's fresh moving forward, and Peronik's going to help with that, whether that's you know more penalty-killing minutes going to the new addition who can play that, uh, whether that's helping on a power play too, whether every now and then as well, five on five minutes, and just playing that physical style and eating matchups, that might be a little bit more difficult. The Canucks are going to need that moving forward. So I don't want to get into the debate of whether it's a good move, direction, all of that. But I think for Quinn Hughes on a personal level, Philip Ronick is going to really, really make his life a little bit easier. Don't want to get into a debate? I don't want to get Come on, man. Me and you tomorrow, talk show. one to three. When, I'm saving it for He's tomorrow, <laughs> Bick. I will say, look. Post game is supposed to be about the game. Tomorrow we're going to. The gonna, game is the game. The game is the game. You're the former the it's one all guy. In the game, yo. Some of those shifts were like just splash and go, right? Just like come yep. off, boom, yep. hop back on. It was a pit stop. Yeah. And it's not just the minutes, it's also the puck carrying burden. Yes. Someone else behind Quinn Hughes on the depth chart has to be able to carry the puck. It has to just be able to make that pass out. The burden of being the guy can that can really only generate. Yeah. Right? Like that the offensive numbers we can marvel at, but you know, when a guy that's near forty points walks into the locker room. That's going to make life a little bit easier. Should anyways. Not so much tonight, but you saw so many times recently. Quinn Hughes just has to handle the puck so much yeah. in his own zone, and he takes so so much ownership over. He's willing to go out of position to go retrieve from someone else, and then almost overdoes it. And it's just when you're constantly the guy that has to do it. I understand there's going to be critiques to the trade price point. We'll get into that throughout the course of the mm-hmm. postgame show. But they were just they just need more bodies to be able to move the puck from the back end. Wait, wait, wait. So are you suggesting that I'm Philip Peronik to your people's show tomorrow? <laughs> I'm going to help you help you. Uh, I'm comparing you well, to I'm comparing you to Queen Hughes. All right. We we definitely wouldn't have given up a first and a second. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you well played, well played. Cam Bear is here. What did you acquire Randy for? <laughs> Did you trade futures for him to come in on the show tomorrow? Oh, okay. seven. I think he said seven picks, not a seventh round pick. Seventh round pick. Yeah. He, they almost the traded Tanner's Josh. You know. They almost traded Josh Elliott Wolf for him, but <laughs> poor Josh. All right, Randy, great stuff, man. Uh, calling the game, and we look forward to you on the People Show breaking down whatever trades are left in the National Hockey League on trade deadline day.
All of them. Even uh, AHL trades. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. He's got his notebook ready to go. That's Randy Janda, color commentator alongside Brendan Batchelor. Canucks lose tonight at Rogers Arena 2-1 against the Minnesota Wild. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And jokes for 60, always welcome them in. And Pardeep gets them started by saying, Philip Hironik was absolutely trash out there, non-existent. Canucks definitely lost the trade. Yeah, he was non-existent, all right. <laughs> yeah, he was. No Philip Hironik tonight for the Vancouver Canucks. Keep those thoughts coming in. And, you know, like we always do, we throw a question out on Twitter as well to see, you know, what fans on social media think about the game. And the two names that keep coming up, you know, my, the, po- the question I posed was a simple one. Who stood out for you tonight? And it's, it's continually Kravtsov and Vasily Putkozin, Bick. And, you know, we spoke spoken about Vasily quite a bit, and we talked about Kravtsov as well with Randy here uh, just a bit ago. But on Vitaly Kravtsov and ultimately what he's capable of doing, it's only small little flashes in terms of him getting his shot off and having a vision. And, you know, the assist he got on the Brock Besser goal, he gets the first assist on it, the motion. The thing I liked about it was everything was in one motion. Mm-hmm. It was receive the pass, already knows where the guy is because he looked at Besser before. One motion, the puck goes across. And it happens so quickly, the Minnesota Wild defenders don't have time to really react to get, the, get their sticks in the right lane. It's a small little thing, but it's just the fluidity and the quickness in making that decision. That stands out in terms of this is a talented hockey player. Well, that whole play, you talk about the motion of receiving that pass to, to get it to the next pass. Look where he starts on that play. Mm-hmm. Starts in the bumper, plays a little one-two game with uh, Connor Garland up top, and then slowly gravitates towards the corner, not trying to be a pedestrian, but just showing another angle for his teammates and making the penalty killers move around him. And you watch that play. You know, Brett and I talked about this during the intermission. Mm-hmm. Sheldon Drys is doing great work in front of the net, drawing Matt Dumba towards him. Matt Dumba's got to confront drives to get him off Marc-Andre Fleury. So now bodies have to rotate, and it's Hartman who's slow to get to that passing lane. And Holden Poco texting in, loving that Kraftstoff pass on that goal. When was the last time we saw an east-west pass look on the power play? Not often enough, especially from that angle, yes. from what you're talking about. There's that left-handed shot firing across to Brock, and it's that's where you see the skill, right? Yeah. You can just see the quick thinking of a strong player, a top-ten pick, who's clearly got offensive ability. It's just how, like, what moments are you putting him in to succeed? And yeah. that one, smart play for him on the power play. That's something we see materialize moving forward as well, maybe even to next year's his power play usage. Yeah, and you know what's really compelling? What's really tantalizing is his overall size as well and how he's able to win engage, win along the boards. It doesn't and all. He, he was engaged tonight. He was, and and I'd say when you watch him play, the thing to be careful with is you watch him tonight, and you're like, he was physical, he was good. He can do more of that, though, right? I, I think he can be even more square when he throws his body towards the boards and be even a bit harder on that aspect. But I don't think you want to nitpick him too much on it because it's like you're you're making strides. Like, don't worry too much about it. Keep doing those things. Like he had a hit where he rubbed out Joel Eriksson-Eck. And Eriksson Eck was slow to get up and was kind of like checking to make sure he was all right. And that's a big player. And if he can do those things he did tonight. And to your point, we talked to Randy before as well. The guy he won two battles against in the second period when we were set up for closer for one of the better chances the Canucks had goal front was him winning two physical battles against Jordan Greenway. You know, it's 
that's what makes it's you a go, tough all customer. Right. Yeah. That makes you say, okay. And Greenwood's had his struggles this mm-hmm. year, but it's like, all right, I want to see more of this. If this is a starting point, it's a good starting point for Kravtsov. The Erickson Eck play is the one that perks your ears up. Yeah. Because, hey, the, the offensive stuff, people pay to go see offensive skill. That's fantastic. But we kind of know we can do that. It's the other stuff that you want to see bring into the game. Because that's how you're going to jump up the lineup, too. If you're going to be a fourth-line mercenary scorer, okay. But you're going to need more elements to your game at some point. The effort to get work, work back into that play knocks out Erickson Eck into the sideboards in the neutral zone. And that's where you see the size. Mm-hmm. You see the skating ability. He's a very silky player. Just moves about the ice so easily. And those are the things. It's, it's You can see the package, and they've paid nothing to get it, and this is all upside. And to be honest, like we already said, it's like he's played two games. This is already kind of a win. What do you expect from seventh-round seventh picks? Yeah. So this is already kind of a win in that regard. But keep working to get to that final stage. And that play, you mentioned Greenway, the defensive play to set up his chance later. Like That's the sort of stuff that that's how you're going to earn the coach's trust for more ice time, more offensive opportunities to flourish in your style of game, too. So they've added Dermot via trade. They've added Ethan Bear via trade, Jack Stadnika via trade, and now they've also added... The safe bets. Right. And then the... And Kraftsoft now they've added. Oh, they're going to say Heronic. Heronic is the higher end. The but big I, bet. But I mean, these are like the smaller bets, right? Like, hey, let, let's find something They were hanging here. out at like the... Blackjack table, and they're like, "Hey, let's take our winnings here. Yeah, let's, let's go, go straight so, to the roulette." Yeah, and it's like hey, you go bigger odds. Spin it all right? on seventeen red, <laughs> and that's what they did. But in, in terms of the other guys they went after and, and signed, or I mean, they went after Studnika's still a work in progress. There's a lot more he has to do for him to be a win. I think, but also look at the usage. Like Brett and I were talking about this. They, that line started out there today. Studnika, mm-hmm. some TV timeouts. Yeah. That line, that Oman, Stadnika, Joshua line, the best shift in the second period, it's all started by that line, too. So, uh, you know, you know now, keeping not, an eye on those. Not, not a ton of ice time for him tonight. I think he played, like, what, six minutes tonight, Jack Stadnika? Not a ton of ice time for him. But he has some tools. But I think it's going to be more work in progress, right, over mm-hmm. time to see what he does. Whereas with, with Ethan Bear, we know he's going to be a player. I, I don't think he's a top four defenseman on a good team and a team that's going to go far. But he can play top four minutes for you. He's... He's going to be a very, at the very least, a third pair defenseman who helps you. So that's a win, but he's not a quote unquote difference maker. Who's going to be a difference maker that you find? Can you find one? Can Kraftsov be that guy? Very little evidence so far, but what he showed tonight was very positive. But that's what we're looking at here. Of those players have acquired, can one can one be a difference maker? And which one's that that going to be? Because I'm not sure it's going to be bare to that degree, even though it's a win. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure Studnik is going to be that guy. Dermot, I'm not sure. Kraftsov. Maybe he's not. If you're making betting odds, he'd be the most likely. Just because of the pedigree, too. Yeah, and, and that's the guy just from a skill set that I would rather bet on in terms of being able to hit that upside. Two games in for uh, Vitaly Kraftsov and helped the Canucks get a goal tonight. Made it 1-1 at the time, but the Minnesota Wild go on to win, beating the Canucks 2-1. The man who scored the goal, Brock Besser. His name's been in trade rumors, especially with this Minnesota Wild team. What does tonight's performance mean? We'll talk about that. We'll take more of your text messages. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber. And also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. It's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar, and this is the Canucks Central Postgame Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. And Garland collects again right point. Middle of the ice for Kraftsoff. Back to Garland. Out of Willanda. Top of the point. 
to Garland. Right wing. Into the corner for Kravtsov. Centers for Besser. One-timer. He scores! A beautiful pass by Vitaly Kravtsov lands right on the tape of the Minnesota native Brock Besser. And he ties the game at one. And that was a no-doubter. Brock Besser, as you say, gets an excellent pass from Vitaly Kravtsov. The lone goal for the Vancouver Canucks tonight in a 2-1 loss against the Minnesota Wild here at Rogers Arena. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll free 1-888-275-0650. And you heard the clip coming in. Brock Besser scoring the goal to bring the Canucks within... A tie game for the moment, and the star, uh, the Wild made a 2-1 in the second and hold on to win by that score. Kirill Kaprizov scoring both for the uh, for the Minnesota Wild. And, Bick, Brock Besser's game. Uh, it seems like every time he plays uh, uh, the Minnesota Wild, he has a good game or at least gets on the scoreboard, scored a goal here tonight. His name has obviously been in the trade rumor mill for, I'd say, a couple of years now. Really? But really, I mean... The last like six months, it's been pretty. <laughs> no, what what rumors? The last like four months, not even six months, it's probably been the most heated we've ever heard rumor wise around Brock Besser. But there has been like no real movement. I don't think for for all the talk around Brock, I don't know if they've ever been close to moving Brock to be honest. And that's what makes me skeptical that he is going to get traded here by the deadline. So for all the discussions around Brock and he's playing against a team that's been looking at him in, in discussions with Vancouver about his services. Does this do anything for his value, so to speak? No. Yeah, it's, it's, and I wish you could see Big's face. It was like it's a sad, you know, forlorn. No. Like, just, no. <laughs> like what's one goal? Like, uh... I think it's at, at a point because people are asking, you know, showcase, did he showcase? Everyone knows what Brock is at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think the reality for his situation is very evident. And maybe the best thing, and I don't mean this in terms of Brock being here long term, but the best thing for him is for this to end. And I mean, like, yeah. the deadline to end. Deadline to end. And then can you just get your head straight for the final 20 games of the season and play as well as you possibly can and then set yourself up for potentially a move at the draft? It. I wish I could come up with some grand take of, like, well, if he works on this and this and this is what teams are looking for. This is a finances issue. That's all this is. Brock makes... I, I hate to do the my contract sucks thing, but just makes probably a hair more than some people want, and that's why you keep hearing of stories of retention and all this sort of stuff. And what should be the Canucks' motivation to re- retain on a guy making six point six five with two years left? And he, look, he can produce. Brock Besser is not this terrible winger or anything like that. This isn't something that they're burdened with. It's two years left. He's got. Four, uh, 39 points now in the year. He can score goals. Figure this out in the offseason. Unless something miraculously materializes tomorrow, I, I'm sure there's a desire from the Canucks point of view, and there's a demand certainly from Brock's agent because he's on a podcast or an interview every other week right <laughs> yeah. now or tweeting something um, to try to resolve it. But I just don't – I'm hard-pressed to see the team that's willing to take this on right now that's making this playoff push, and I don't know if he's – I don't know if he's the type of player that has like a Philip Ronick demand where a team can say, well, Brock Besser's available. We need to solve this, right? Yeah. 
not just because of, of who he is as a player, but also positional value and all that sort of stuff. I don't see a non-playoff team saying, oh, we can go get Brock right now, let's go do it. This is probably going to materialize in the offseason when it makes the most sense and when teams miss out on a very paltry free agent class, they circle back and say, hey, what does it actually look like for a Brock Besser? Is it a second-round pick? Is it a second-round value and a prospect? Roster player? Do you want a D-man that makes $3 million? Whatever. Yeah. I think you're just going to have more options to solve it in the offseason. And to tie up the Besser thing... Vancouver's not willing, it doesn't seem, to just trade Besser and retain money. Like, for instance, they probably could have traded Besser and gotten a second-round pick if they retained some money, like retained a million and a half. But now they have more money on the books for next year, so why take on even more, right? Right, and the other thing is, if you are retaining right now, what are you giving me for it? Yeah. And I think that's how Vancouver's viewing it, is saying, okay, we'll retain on Besser, but we want an extra asset for that. So not only is the player's asset value X— the cost for retention is why you put the two together. That's the cost for acquisition, and I don't think other teams are willing to do that. But come the off season, when there is a bit more salary cap space around the league and in a very barren free agent market, does six point six five for two years all of a sudden look a bit more appealing or easier for you to stomach for two years? And that's where maybe you just get the one pick, but at least you get all the money off your books. And ultimately, uh, we'll see if it gets to that coming in the off season for Brock Besser, who scored a goal tonight, played well in front of his. Well, I wouldn't say. Um, yeah, go on. Well, certainly not his hometown no. crowd. But well, no, but his hometown team. I hometown guess. team. Yes. Well, it's not really relevant. But uh, the thing is, like the goal, it's like that's the confident version of yes. Brock. And even later, he got a chance, kind of on a one timer, and wasn't set and had to pass it off. But we keep saying it's like when the conditions are perfect, some of these guys can look great. But the conditions aren't always going to be perfect. That's the thing. It's like you have to overcome a bad pass. You have to overcome a D-man in a certain lane. How are you creating then off of your own? But that play, it's just like it was so easy because mm-hmm. the puck coming in, he knows it's got to come off his stick, and he knows he's going to pick that corner, and Flurry's got to go low to high and post to post. And it was such a nice shot. And such, it looked like such a confident player. And at the same time, it's also maddening to be like, you have it in you all the well, time to, yeah. to be able to be that confident player. Uh, and it just it, it's the battle for consistency. I know we're talking about Kravstov earlier and put Coles in. It's like, it, it's all, it always comes down to consistency. Well, it always does. And, you know, he's, you mentioned he's at 39 points, 12 goals on the season. Is there any way he gets to 20? Does he score? I mean, he's very capable of scoring eight goals in the final mm-hmm. 21 games. But does he hit that mark? And I think I do think as much as, hey, 19 goals, 20 goals, if you're looking at it from – his perspective, but also in terms of him as a player, I think hitting 20 goals could matter. You know, just to have that number, and we'll see if he gets there. He's at 12 now for the season. A couple of texts here coming in on this whole Besser conversation. Jordan in the Ridge, if you're not going to trade Brock at the deadline, why would we wait to do it at the draft? That's when his value will be lowest. I'm not convinced that's true. No, no, because there's less cap space around right now. You get to the off season, there is number one, teams are going to have more cap space because they'll have players coming off the books. And there are no free agents available almost. Like I could see this being a July 7th trade. Yeah, sure. I I don't disagree with that. I mean, it might take some time. I think drafts always the opportunity for you to do stuff. But once free agency dries up quickly and a few things happen and some dominoes fall, there aren't going to be a lot of guys available. And I think that's part of the reason why if you can't do it now, don't hurry and make a bad move. Uh, and I said it's it's about the finances. Look, we're talking about the resolution yes. of this, right? This unsigned text. It's not a finance story. It's a player who isn't dedicated enough to his craft to fulfill his potential story. This is all on him. Why we got to this stage, we can yeah. dissect that, certainly. How to solve it, 
I think this comes down to finances. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Uh, Don and Bella Bella, longtime fan here, and so disappointed in the bashing of Rutherford on this Ronick trade. The guy is a young right-hand D-mine porn producer. I turned off programs because of too, too much criticism. Hoping for at least one more move. Tomorrow, that's Don and Bella Bella. Thanks for Patrick Alvin to uh, evade uh, criticism from Don there. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Also, well, criticism, like it's backing. Yeah. Avoiding the media, too. Is that what also you're going to say? But <laughs> we'll hear from the general manager coming up uh, tomorrow after the trade deadline comes and, comes and passes. I know, I think we will hear from him tomorrow. But um, could have said that on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not salty about it. Not at all. But... What do they get done by tomorrow? And I've mentioned this before, and if you've been listening to our shows, you know. But as of this morning or, or early this afternoon, I don't think the Canucks were close on anything. Clearly, they haven't done anything yet so far. Whatever they may have been close on last night, obviously they didn't come to fruition. Can they get to that by tomorrow? I can't sit here and tell you what the sense is tonight because <laughs> it, it moves fast. But I know Vancouver is trying very hard. I'm just not sure what they're going to be able to get done. Like, I know that they have a big effort. And based on everything, like, because there's only, what? Let's power rank 14 hours left until the deadline, right? 14 hours until we get to the yep. deadline. And so many players are off the board as it is. It gets harder. But because they've already made so many trades, Bick, they've made, like, I, I thought this season they've made eight trades. Mm-hmm. So they made so many trades, and especially this last little while, I'm, I'm betting against one more. I'm betting, I'm betting that they'll do one more trade. Like one more prominent one. I don't like know, just trade. A... I'm not sure it's going to be prominent. Yeah. Uh, they like want to do something BD prominent, yeah. Like I mean, they they want to do something prominent. I'm not sure they're going to be able to pull that off, but I do think they'll get at least one more deal done. All right, let's power rank uh, the most likely asset okay. that gets moved. Brock, Garland, Myers. Those are probably the big three. So I'd say... I'll throw Demko in there, why not? Yeah. So I'd say Demko very unlikely. Yeah. I, I think Demko's kind of... Like, as much as it must have, I think yeah. Demko falls into the category of Pedersen and Hughes. Sure. Now, yeah, watch yeah, him get yeah. traded I, in I, like I totally 10 agree. minutes. <laughs> but like, that's kind of where he falls in. So I'd say very, very unlikely. You know what? The, the guy, I think, out of that group that's the most likely is probably the player who's been spoken about the last, the least, is probably Connor Garland. That's what I was going to say, too. If, if I had to power rank those three, right? let's say those three guys. Um, with Brock, Myers, and Garland. And how much of that is is shaped by what we saw happen with the Penguins, with the Granlin trade? Right. Like, if Mikhail Granlin, who has three years left of $5 million, Garland has the same amount of money, essentially 4.95. Younger player, years, Younger player, more productive this year. I mean, what would... What reason would you believe that Granlin's a better player? Because he can play center if he had to, in a pinch? Mm-hmm. Is that part There's of it? some ability to play center. Yeah. Is that maybe why you would? And he's a bit more experienced, but he's older. He hasn't been as good. But if if Granlin can, we had a productive year last year. Yeah, but if Granlin can fetch you something along those lines, Granlin, then I'm sure Garland's value is not too dissimilar. So I think it comes down to the the Garland thing. What is Vancouver's appetite on him? But I think Bresser has been very difficult. Clearly, Meyer is very difficult. Clearly, signing bonus is a big thing. Yeah, the only other player I throw in there is Bovillier. I think to me, Bavillier and Garland, not because you want to get rid of Bavillier necessarily, but in terms of actually having market value and market interest, those to me would be the more likely ones because of the market market interest in those players. I, I would say I'd be surprised on a Bavillier, but yeah. here we are 
a day removed from them moving the first round pick. It's like, <laughs> hey, asset in, asset out. We don't have no problem with that. What if I pose it to you this way, Bick? How do you sign next offseason? Pedersen, Hughes, I mean, Pedersen, Hironic, and Bovillier. Bovillier. For their contracts to kick in simultaneously after next season. You pretty much have to earmark anywhere from what, 22 to 24 million for those three players yeah. together, roughly. Give Very take. rough math. Yeah. Is that the three you want to bet on? Hironic and Pedersen, you are. Is Bavillier also the guy you Now, part of that also depends on who else you move out. Yeah. But, I, but I'm just wondering here, looking at team building wise, because next year, if you're trying to be a playoff team, can you go into next year trying to be a playoff team and then have Bavillier as an expiring? Yeah, that's the thing. They'll get it solved. Why let him walk for nothing? Like, So my question here is is Bavillier actually a solution or is he somebody you could, whether it's now or the trade deadline? But I'd say those two players, Bix. I feel like they're looking at this all as renting assets, as we've talked about, right? Bring in a first. You can send a first out. Bring in Beauvillier. Do they know that they can get an asset for it now or later? Similar to the Riley Stillman uh, calculation to Mm -hmm. say, hey, we think we can get a a third-round pick value for this guy, and they ultimately do that with Josh Bloom. Is is Beauvillier kind of in the same mold? It's You make a trade, but we still feel like we can get something, but we're just – we're just renting it right now because we need some actual minutes along our wingers right now. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised with Bovillier if it happened tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Ask me next deadline. Could be a different story. And this is why it's like that next wave of talent matters. That's why Vasily Pitkols in games like tonight matter. Vitaly Kravtsov, games like tonight matter. Because if they can say, hey, this is a guy on an ELC and maybe we can sign him to a three-year, 1.8, something like that, like a bridge deal, mm-hmm. and this is what fills in for the Bovilliers and the Garlands and the br- the besters of the world moving out, that's how we're going to open up money for the other problems on this roster. So right now, if you look at next year's team, if you move Garland, if you do remove Garland and Besser from the equation, if you're able to do that, and we'll see if they are, but if they are, then next year you'll be heading into the season without making any additions to the forward groups. Mikheyev, Pedersen, Kuzmenko, and then Miller with Putkolzin, Bovillier, or Kravtsov. Or Hoaglander. So I think you could be setting it up where where essentially you have five out of your top six spots open, and then the sixth spot you essentially have open for competition between Pukolzin, Kraftsov, and Hoaglander. Can one of those guys become that top six guy? And if not, the other guys can play in your third line potentially, and we know what else you shape your fourth line out to be. I, I wouldn't mind that approach because you do, to your point, have to find one of these young guys to step up. and. One spot, I think, in your top nine and in your top six, I think has to be somewhat reserved to see if one of those guys can emerge. Like a crap stuff. Yeah, or even, you know, it's yeah. put Coles in. At least one of those spots. And I think as much as getting rid of those players, I don't think you have to go – I don't think you should go back and try to add more wingers right away. I think with the guys you already have in your yeah. fold. Like you found a Mikheyev type, a Vilia type, and a Kuzmenko type. You need a skilled guy as your sixth in, guy. In one offseason. Yeah. Or in, in one calendar year. Yeah, one calendar, calendar season. Year. Yeah, one calendar season because they, they took over, obviously, right mm-hmm. after right after Christmas. That's fairly impressive to, to get three potential solutions. I don't know if they're long-term solutions. Obviously, Bovillier is the one we, we kind of We wonder discussed. about. I think McCabe and Kuzmenko, Kuzmenko, I think those two are for sure the part of the solutions here. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. We are going to get to head, head coach Rick Talkett as soon as uh, the audio does became, become available to us. Uh, <laughs> extend Bovillier in the offseason for cheap. I'm not sure how cheaply you can re-sign a player who's playing well right now with Patterson. He's going to pay over $4 million. 
So I'm thinking it's not going to be easy necessarily to replace him. Coming up, Shorthouse says, Agreed, Garland has to be the easiest to move. Uh, and David from Kelowna, after three good Demko performances, he's off to Calgary. Hopefully a joke for 60. So that's uh, uh, David and Kelowna texting in. As far as Demko is concerned, another strong performance from him between the pipes tonight, Bick, against the Minnesota Wild. And for all the trade talk around Thatcher Demko, that, that's one I've always had a hard time seeing as well. Like, no matter what we talk about in terms of the speculation around him and, you know, teams might be interested, if you're actually making a Ronick trade and you're trying to be good, how do you trade the backbone of your team, your goaltender? We were just saying, if you move some wingers, there's a next wave of talent, at least starting to find some bodies and like, crafts off and put Coles And in. even like Harry Mackey, who had a tough year, yeah. but top 15 pick, Lucas Forsell. Like, there are enough options on the wings that you're like, we might have something sure. somewhere, right? That doesn't exist on the in goal. No. Barely, I, like, yeah. I, I really like Arthur Seelovs and nice cameo, obviously, when you show up here for a couple of games. That's still a year away to be able to look and say, this is our guy. This is going to be the guy that plays 50 games, and this is who we're going to trust in the playoffs. You're still a couple of years away from that. So if your intention is to be good, and you've already started your tenure saying, hey, there's a franchise goalie in this organization that gives us a chance, I just don't see it. No, I mean, if you're trying to set it up, right, you want to have a a star center. You have that in Pedersen. You want to have a star defenseman. You have that in Hughes. You want to have a star goalie. You have that in Demko. So why would you get rid of your foundational pieces if you're trying to win? If you're thinking a longer-term approach, then it makes sense that, okay, Demko has three years left. It's hard to re-sign goalies and give them too much money. Maybe that's a decision you got to make. But with the timeline being the way it is, and now you've added Heronik to it. You have JT Miller. You have Kuzmenko. If we're looking at pieces that you need to be a competitive team, they're still missing a center. Whether you want to view that as a second-line center, third-line center. They're missing a center that can play well defensively, play well on the PK, at the very least, and play at least 14, 15 minutes a game in that type of a role. And they need at least one more defenseman. No. No, and I at mean, like, least what, I'm, what I'm talking about is... I'm talking, at least two more. What I'm talking about is, like, not just core players, like, star, like, levels that are, like, mm-hmm. next level. Because I'm not including Mikheyev in this discussion. Mm-hmm. What I'm including here is I'm going Pedersen, I'm going Hughes, I'm going Demko, I'm going Kuzmenko, Miller. I'm going Hironik, Miller. Yeah, right? they got... Six core guys. Six, but yeah, but like more than core. So I yeah. think what they need is a seventh guy. On, on, they need a they need a center, like a legit one. So that makes a seven and the eighth guy being another high caliber defenseman. Because I think if you get another high, like a top two defenseman, now you got Hughes, uh, Horonic, and you have another guy. So that gives you three real foundational guys. Can you find a third line center and one more impact defenseman? You still need more, yeah. but this gives you like this gives you a chance. Like you're you're in the fight if you add those two pieces. Here's the thing: I was I was making this point earlier today with Brad May on the People Show. You make a move like this. The phrase I used was, "You're kind of in for a penny, in for a pound." So there's no like, "Hey, let's scan the market as it develops over the course of the next season." You go into this off season and you look and say. How do we get better now? I know some people are cringing right now. It's like, oh my goodness, Baker, advocating for them to go spend in the offseason. I'm not advocating for it. I just think you need to mentally prepare yourself for that's what's going to happen. Because you don't trade a first-round pick. And I, I disagree with the notion that this has become an all-in year because you, you still have some assets. Yeah, right? it's not an all-in year, but it's, it's But a, you're clearly decided forward. to drive over the speed limit a little bit. How about that? <laughs> yes, you're driving 75 and a 70 now. 
You're saying, all right, let's let's hit the accelerator on this a lot. They haven't pushed it all the way. Not that they need to go all all in, but if there's a free agent that becomes available now, Sat, are they going to start going that way? And I look at a couple of D-men that might hit the open market. Are they going to be active pursuers of those players? We'll talk. Uh, we'll touch on some of those names on the other side, uh, but. I, I think we just look at it and say this team's intending to be aggressive. That's exactly what they're intending to do. We'll get to more of your reaction. We'll dis- dissect this a bit more. And we're going to hear from head coach Rick Tockett as the Canuck Central Post Game Show rolls on in the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central Post Game Show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Spurgeon, left point Milton, low shot, kicked out by Demko, off the left pad, and Spurgeon spins it back in behind the net for Kaprizov, now to the right circle, Zuccarello shoots, tipped in the back door by Kaprizov, and the Wild take a 1-0 lead, just 44 seconds into the first period, as Minnesota's top line cashes in. And it didn't take them long to strike Zuccarello to Kaprizov, and early on in this game, the Canucks, you can see down low, it's going to be a problem without Luke Shen, where... In and around the net, around the blue paint. Kirill Kaprizov, two goals for the Minnesota Wild, helping them win 2-1 over the Canucks here at Rogers Arena. And this is the Canucks Central Postgame Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Brock Besser, the lone goal scorer for the Vancouver Canucks. Keep your thoughts coming in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. Satyar Shaw with Bik Nazar. Now, before we get to more of our takes and more of your reaction... We mentioned head coach Rick Tockett. Here he is after a hard-fought 2-1 loss on home ice, meeting with the media. I didn't like our first. I thought after that we played better. I um, thought the guys tried tonight. You know, we didn't have an answer for uh, number 97, man. He's a hell of a player. He was the, he was a difference maker. Well, I mean, <clears throat> you know, guys were trying. I mean, he's, he's a world-class guy. Um, I think we could have played through him a little bit more. Like you know, we're not—you can't kill him. Obviously, he's, he's shifty, but I think it could have doubled up a little bit more in the D zone. I think we played off him too much, and um, when you play great players like that, you got to double up quick. And I think our reaction was a little bit slow. Thought we were better in the second third, but obviously the first we weren't. Right, his movement off the puck, yeah, uh, is unbelievable. Is there? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, he's just uh, – what impresses me about him is just not the, the, the offense. I mean, he's he goes in the corner hitting. Like, I've, I've watched this guy. Like, he he hits people. Like, he gets in on people. He's just not a guy that uh, is an offensive player. You know, he's a, he's a gritty, gritty star, absolutely gritty star. You got a dynamic play from Kratzov to set up the Besser goal on the power play. <clears throat> I thought him and Potsy were good today. Yeah. I thought I thought Pot Colson was very good. He was he was a bright spot for me. I thought that line was pretty good, but you know Kratzy, I, I liked you know I liked his uh, his skill out there. But uh, Potsy was a bull out there. I thought he had a really good game for us. You had Colson on the ice late in that final minute when you were trying to score. Yeah. Before the penalty, um, what did you see from him that you wanted to reward? Well, just he, he's going to come up with a loose puck. I, I felt tonight some guys were 
didn't have their A game. And um, when some guys don't have A, you're looking for retrieval, retrieval guys. And I thought Potsy was a guy that if there was a loose puck, he was going to get it. He just had that eye of the tiger tonight. And, um, you know, that's the, that's the way I like, like when he plays like that, he's very effective. Penalty kill has been more successful yeah. Uh, more patient, uh, when to be aggressive, when not. We're not caught in between. Guys are starting to understand what we're trying to preach, and um, you know we're we're getting some. Uh, you know, we, and we actually we got some. You know, the guys from Abster coming up. We got them penalty killing. So, and they've learned quickly too. So, uh, yeah, the PK was good tonight. Now, obviously, Demers. I mean, he's just solid out there. You know, he's just the puck just. You know, it's just thudding. You know, it just dies in him. There's not many rebounds when Demers in net. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, the, they had some chance, but I thought we did. I didn't think they had a ton of chances. I thought we did a, a really nice job um, getting the shot lanes. They have a couple of plays behind the net. We didn't get sucked into those. Um, but yeah, that's confidence. That really helps. We, you know, PK is about getting on a roll, attitude, energy, and I thought. You know, I, I think the last four or five games we've been getting it. Yeah, he was gritty. I mean, obviously, uh, that was a hell of a fight, but he's, he played really gritty tonight. How impressed have you been by Demko having a long layoff yeah. like he did and then coming out and it's like he's been pretty close to on his game the last Yeah, he's, um, he's just dialed in, focused. You know, I can just tell. I, I, even post to post, he makes a save. He's still in the net. You know, a lot of the goalies are make a post, they're out of the net, and he's still in the net. He's just focused, and I knew he was good, but he's really good. Did you learn anything about him, watching him prepare to get back in the lineup? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I didn't know, to be honest, like, and I, I had a leadership meeting when I first got here, and I didn't know, but guys were saying, hey, you got to have Demer in here. I didn't know he was that type of guy. He's a leader. He's a he's a quiet guy, but he's a, he's a very focused, you know, young man. I can just tell that he wants to win badly and he, he's going to do his part. How much of a mental challenge are losses like this when you guys are in the position you're at and you're not getting Is there a risk of this sort of building and bottom maybe further? Well, I mean, I like, you know, against Boston, three, you know, 2-1 game, they score empty net. We're 2-1 against these guys. Play. I mean, we're hanging in there and we're not selling the farm. You know, I, I didn't think we were to say that we were giving up as many blunder goals. I think we've been better at that. Obviously, you know, Demmer's been really good for us, but I, I don't see, see the the backdoor tap-ins like we were given a while ago. Um, I told the guys before the game, Minnesota's comfortable playing a two-on hockey game, and we have to be that same, you know, and it's okay to be down one nothing or 1-1 one, one, um, and just let the game come to you um, instead of chasing it and making a you know, a crucial mistake. <clears throat> like we gave him that breakaway there on a, on a kind of a bad change. You know, things like that, we we, we got to limit more, less and less. You know, it seems like, you know, it, it happens a lot, but I haven't seen it happen the last week or two. In the past, I've seen a lot. And those are the ones you can't, you know, teams give up breakaways every once in a while, but we can't give up those type of blenders. And I've, I'm seeing less and less, which is which is a good thing. Yeah. Now, as a coach, do you still get the vibe getting back in your mind even though you're not playing? Well, I, I mean, 
you try not even talking about it with the players because you know you know some guys they think they're gonna some guys think they're gonna get traded and you know there's nothing you can do. I mean a lot of it's uh, that's the business we live in. You know you just you just live in the moment. You can't really worry about it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean yeah, it depends. You know yeah. I mean I honestly I don't even think about it. Obviously I'm on the other end because it's like you're involved in. If there's going to be a trade, hey, what do you think? But, uh, yeah. You mentioned the Alex for guys a couple times. How much communication have you been able to have with Jeremy Carlton down there? I know he's developed a lot of guys in defensive games this season, it feels like, down there. Are you guys talking often? Yeah, I've talked a few times, and uh, just the schedule, uh, they're away. I, I, you know, myself and I, I haven't been down. I, w- I want to go down there, actually watch some games. I like to go to practice, and uh, I actually like to get take uh, eggs and uh, Jeremy out for dinner and, and just kind of – I actually learned from those guys, see what they're doing, some of the some system stuff. But um, you know, we're trying to be cohesive. What we're doing here and there. Um, I've only been here a month, so I haven't really. I talked to them a couple of times, but I believe it. There has to be synergy. You know, you should have a lot of communication with the with the guy down there. With your coaching history, how much have you been involved in the NHL team? What's an ideal situation? Uh, a lot. I, when I was in Arizona, uh, a ton. I, actually, we'd have our. So, you know, it's only an hour and a half drive, so actually the coaches would come up. Against the Minnesota Wild, and, you know, it's it's interesting listening to talk, and he didn't want to be too critical with his team because he lost 2-1, but you can kind of tell that he was like, yeah, they they kind of fight, they try, they didn't maybe love the performance, and one of the things that kind of gave gave it away was – some guys didn't have their A game tonight, so I wanted guys that were hungry for pucks. And he keeps throwing bouquets at young Vasily Putkolzenbeck. Another animal reference. Yeah. The eye of the tiger tonight. He's got the bull. <laughs> the eye of the tiger. He's got the eye of the tiger. They play Philly again so we can uh, break out the Rocky music. But yeah, no, that's a good sign for Vasily Putkolzenbeck. No, it is. And, and sure enough, that's why you get late game usage. Uh, as well for Vasily Pitkos. And again, 12 minutes, not overwhelming, but certainly better from eight minutes. And we've seen that from Rick Tockett, where if you have a good game, like, that, we're not that far removed from talking about Andre Kuzmenko getting eight, ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my goodness, they just signed this guy. What are they doing? What does Kuzmenko do? Plays better? Suddenly you're up at 18, 22 minutes. I don't think that's going to happen for Kravstov and Pitkosen, but you play well? Yes. Stunning that your shifts go up. So now next game, are you going to be in the 14 range? you got to be consistent and bring it to the next game as well and make sure that, hey, what we did tonight versus Minnesota, that carries over to Toronto on Saturday. Hockey Night in Canada, a lot of eyes on you are going to be that focused and that sharp as well. But if it happens, suddenly, hey, 13, 14 minutes night, that's how you start building trust with the coaching mm-hmm. staff, that you're doing the things that they're preaching and holding up your end of the bargain. And, and those two players, uh, for me, Best ones uh, this evening. I'm with you, and I think that's the promising part of tonight's game, even though the Canucks lost. And hey, a lot of fans, they're happy when the Canucks lose because of what it does to the standings in terms of trying to get that higher draft pick. But Not a lot of luck on the out-of-town scoreboard today. No, no. Uh, but but one team ahead of them was able to gain two points on Vancouver. Uh, St. Louis. Yes. So if you're worried about Vancouver catching St. Louis, uh, not that they can. I mean, sure, they could potentially, but it's going to be a lot harder, especially after this four-point swing in St. Louis's favor. Well, when you have a solid goalie out there, too, it gives you a chance, as uh, Rick Talk had mentioned. A lot of thuds. The puck just dies on him. 
like Velcro tonight. You just kind of yeah. swallowed the pucks up and not a lot of rebounds, which the coach was giving a lot of credit to. Uh, reaction coming into our text inbox, 650-650, coming up short house. I love Rick. I hope he's successful here in Vancouver. Brandon and Poco, uh, Poco glad to hear Rick talk and say that Vasily Podkolzin had a good game, whereas Stan Smeal pronounces it as Vasily Podsloven. That's Brandon and Poco. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, we were talking about a couple of potential off-season things. Uh, Jazzy texting in, because uh, I mentioned aggressive off-season. Kind of prepare yourself for an yeah. aggressive off-season. Jazzy texts in, no Bic, we're scarred from aggressive off-seasons. That's exactly the mindset that led to disastrous trades like Oliver ekman Larson. And look, valid point. Right? It's happened. I'm just saying... Be, what, yeah, you're be just prepared. preparing people. I'm just saying be prepared. Not to sound like Scar and Lion King, but be prepared. <laughs> because... <laughs> like, this is what's happening. We can all disagree with it. Yeah. If you don't like the plan, I get it. And, and they've told you what they're trying to do. But they are attempting to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Now, I do think you have to separate a trade like Oliver ekman Larson versus... Philip Ronick, just age profiles are completely different. This this falls more in the mold of the JT Miller trade to me. But even that, it's like you're buying a younger player. Well, you are you're buying a younger player. I mean, one like one thing I don't think they're going to do is make the the OEL type of trade that everybody's yeah. really worried about. What I also don't think they're going to do is make an in Tyler Myers type of signing, a guy who's going to be well into his thirties. Like very early on in the contract, like I don't think those are the things they're doing. But in terms of going after players who are legitimate top four caliber players that are say under twenty six, I think they absolutely will. And you know that's why we mentioned Gavrikov's name in terms of a player, lefty defenseman. He's big, he's physical, he can defend, he's okay on the PK. Exactly that they're familiar with <laughs> Dan Milstein, a uh, client. And I mean those are the things, right? Because if if they're able to get that type of player for Heronic, like a lefty who's more of a defensive guy, then you can have those guys be on separate pairs. Because we know that no matter who you play with Quinn, they can pass. Ideally, Bick, I'm with you. Like I think we need to find a legitimate pair partner for him long-term on the right side that can be his partner. But until you find that guy, I think you can run through the Bears, maybe bring Shen back, or something along those lines, just to piece it together. Yeah. Not idealistic, but you could. Whereas with Heronic, I think it's important that they set him up for success by finding the right lefty partner for him. And maybe they try him and Hughes. I just For a team that still needs help on defense, I think putting him and Hughes together is almost... Would you rather not have two pairs that can go? Well, I, I guess it depends how the rest of it gets built out, right? Like I just if, I, I have a hard time seeing them being able to find another defenseman at that same caliber or two that can carry a pair on their own. So here's the thing. The ideal scenario for Philip Ronick is he's a number three that you can play on his own on a separate pair. Yeah. But let's say he's a number four set. Actually, sorry, I should say the ideal scenario is that he's a number two and he plays on a pairing on his own. But let's say he becomes a number four. You could put him with Quinn Hughes and really see him flourish because you got you have a safety net with Quinn Hughes. That pair would work. And so you still have to find a two and a three to play on a separate pair together. Ideally, he's the number two, play on a separate pair, and you can now find a three and a four. They still need, and those... Those two demons that I'm talking about that are X. We don't know who they are. Yeah. They both need to be your primary penalty killers. Yes. 
Well, exactly. That's the thing that they have to find. It's hugely important. I do think you could, like I said, I think it's hard to find two proper defensemen that can play one. Like, I think it's going to be hard for you to find not only Hironik's long-term partner, but also Quinn's long-term mm-hmm. partner in one offseason. But you have to make sure but that... by golly, they're going to try. They're going to try. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they're going to try. And, and I see people mentioning Livingston. He's obviously the NCAA free agent. I'm sure, sure Vancouver's after. And we'll see ultimately who is able to land him. He'd be a huge coup now. But here's the thing. Again, you can like the player. And I think there's traits for yes. him. And he could be a nice prototype, big D-man and all that sort of stuff. They're not going to thrust him into a top four role next year. That's, that's again, if he comes in, you look at it and you say, okay, in a couple of years, maybe. So... What you do is you have you find one guy, I think, this year, a guy that you're willing to take another bet on or somebody that you feel is good, whether it's trade or however you acquire him, hopefully somebody young, right? The next one you leave open somewhat. You leave the opportunity open, and you leave opportunity for some of the prospects you have coming up and guys you sign for somebody to emerge in a year or so. Because I don't think you can be committing long-term to two other defensemen, like, like three defensemen this offseason. Like, Hirono can get through one year. He's at 44 I just don't know if you can do two at a bigger rate unless you find a lot of money that opens up. So I think building it out, it's a lot easier for you to find two lesser defensemen that do the right thing for Hironic and Hughes than trying to find that higher caliber guy. I, I lost the text. We're having some Wi-Fi issues here. But someone did text in earlier that I like how they're repurposing the money because that's the way we've talked about it and the way you could look at it and say, if you're moving out Garland or Besser, do you take the 4.95 and try to find a 3.8 D-man and say, do you need, does this team need scoring? And we're going to take a depth D-man. Mm-hmm. Is that how you start to solve the equation? Because if you, if you just go through this historically, the way I, I'm, I'm using Jim Rutherford here rather than Patrick Alvin, because obviously we haven't seen a runway of how Patrick Alvin builds teams. But if you look at it historically, Jim Rutherford wants to spend about less than 30% on his decor. So they go through their way of finding cheaper contracts. Mm-hmm. Canucks are up over, well over 33% right now with Myers and OEL yeah. and Hughes. So they're going to want to find value-style players. Do you use the Garlands and the Bessers of the world to find 3 million-style D-men? Or do you spend the money in free agency? But I think that's the thing I'm trying to prepare people for. It's get ready for those styles of moves. There's going to be attempts to bring some guys in because the thing is that it's like they don't have this wave of talent coming from internally to say, oh, we're going to throw Jet Wu into the NHL level. Who's the D prospect that you're excited about? Jack Rathbone's, I don't say stock has waned, but we're still kind of waiting for that to happen. Philip Johansson, like, you'd probably want him to get some time on North American ice, maybe at the AHL level. They're They're... The backfill of prospects for the Canucks just isn't really there along the back end. And that's why you have to prioritize, as much as people might not like it, but you now got another capable right-hand shot in the organization because they just don't have internal solutions. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing. There isn't a ton of solutions here for the team, and that's why there's so much more that needs to be done in terms of acquisitions and players they have to add to the fold. And that's why you have people asking questions like, Bo, could we give Breezebois a chance as a third-pairing penalty killer? <laughs> if he can, sure. For the next 20 games, sure. And then beyond that, I mean, hey, come and f- fight for a spot in training camp, and we'll see how where Travis Dermott fits into all this That's as well. the thing. And, and there's plenty of people texting in saying, hey, Breezebois was fantastic tonight. Yeah. 
tonight. Really was. We've seen a lot of guys play well for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. It's more about, I don't think he's a solution. Could he be a guy you throw at it in training camp that can vie for a shot? Sure. I'm not sure I'm penciling him in, though, in any of those spots. Uh, keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Uh, and we'll get to more of your text messages uh, like this one here from Rafe. Guys, throw a Heronix partner for the next bazillion years. OEL. Hope OEL sends him some Swedish meatballs as a welcome gift. That's Rafe uh, texting in. Uh, we'll, we'll keep going on the text inbox, but we'll, let's go to the phone boards. Let's get somebody in on the phone boards as well. 604-280-0650. We have Reg in UBC waiting patiently to get on. Reg, thanks for holding on to your line. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, how's it going tonight, guys? Good, man. Good, good. So this team's going to be aggressive now, right? They're going to go for it, you know, for Hughes and for Ederson and whatnot. If they're going to be aggressive, OEL and Garland being bought out. And hear me out. I think next year's they're cap it together. I think for next year's one million, and I know it's going to go up from there for the you know for mm-hmm. the next few years and whatnot. The cap's also going to go up as well. So I think this team is going to buy them both out. And before I go, I just got one more question for you guys. Just your thoughts yeah. on, uh, I just saw something out here saying J.T. Miller, and they're asking for two first. Just your thoughts on that. Thanks. Hey, uh, thanks for the phone call. That's Reg texting in. Let's get to the J.T. thing in a second. Sure. Uh, he's right about the Connor Garland buyout. Like You save a lot of money. I-, I just wonder if you have to resort to that. I would be surprised. Yeah, and he's right. I mean, so if you buy out OEL, it's a hundred and forty some thousand dollar cap hit on it. If you buy out uh, Garland, it's eight hundred and forty thousand dollar cap yeah. hit. So roughly together, it's a million dollars about that for both those players. I'm just not sure you want that many hits on your salary cap till twenty twenty nine. So I think and you can have yeah. So Gar- the next two years uh, is fine. In three years, you would have six million in dead money for these players combined. Yeah, for two years. Back to back, and That's the thing is, Garland's being productive right now. He is, and I think Garland can survive. I'm, and I'm not even the biggest Garland fan. Everybody knows that I'm, you know, I've, you know, I've criticized him quite a bit in terms of how he fits in and everything. But, but he even is a legitimate like outside of that. But, but legitimately, <laughs> so many things. But I'm trying to be nice here, Bick. Okay, like he's still a player who's productive and good. And like we mentioned before, I think when you looked at the Granlin trade, he's a player that probably has some value somewhere mm-hmm. for you to not have to buy him out at the very least. So I do see that. Now, as far as J.T. Miller is concerned, Frank Valley reporting that when J.T. Miller's name came up in trade talk, the ask was two first-round picks, which that's a big ask, but it's in line with everything we've been saying. The How Canucks, dissimilar is that from what we heard last year? Yeah, and what have we been saying this year? The Canucks, they're open to trading anybody for value, and if they're going to trade J.T., they want value. And one thing that I mentioned was, do you get a – prospect, a really good prospect in a first-round pick, like two high-value assets. If Vancouver does that, sure, they'll listen. And like Frank mentioned, the word was they wanted two first-round picks. I don't think anybody was willing to do that. And he's not going to get traded, which to your reaction to that was... It's almost like they don't want to trade him. Exactly. Right? That's what... It, when you said high price like that, it's like, we don't want to trade this guy unless you you convince us that we have to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's where they're at with JT. And that's why I've always said it's unlikely JT gets moved because Vancouver wants value, whereas other teams look at it and say, oh, can we get this guy for a song because you guys are in the situation you're in and he's had a tough season, at least uh, optically. And the other thing, too, is just because they may have talked about him, like every player has a price. People call about ask about players all the time. And that's the thing you got to remember. It's like every player has a price. And you might initiate that conversation – but as much as people are calling in on Vancouver to say, hey, 
are you guys prepared to take on this contract? Are you, are you guys really ready to do this? Would you sell them for a song? It's also incumbent upon Vancouver to text or find out with other text, uh, phone other teams to say, hey, how desperate are you? Like, would you be willing to pay this? Because we, we have a price on our player. Mm-hmm. Are you guys in a spot where you would give up X, Y, and Z for it? It's kind of on them to make that call, too. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of where it's at. And, you know, we have a reaction on this on the text inbox, 650-650. And a lot of people saying, yeah, I I trade JT for that as well. But the question is, are you getting that type of value? We'll get to more of your text messages. We'll hear from more Canucks players postgame. And Kevin Woodley is going to drop by. It's Satyar Shaw with Bic Nazar on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650, and the Sportsnet Radio Network after 2-1 loss at home against the Minnesota Wild. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in B.C. Only on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks need to try and melt a late push. And Miller wins the draw. Back to the near corner for Tyler Myers. Lost the puck. Comes by the Denver Caprizov out front. Trying to backhander in tight. Held out by Demko. And there's a scramble in the crease. But the Canuck goaltender is eventually able to cover up. And get the whistle as Kirill Kaprizov is on the hunt. He's just dialed in, focused. You know, I can just tell. I, I, even post to post, he makes a save. He's still in the net. You know, a lot of the goalies are make a post. They're out of the net. He's still in the net. He's just focused. And I knew he was good, but he's really good. Canucks lose 2-1 on home ice against the Minnesota Wild. And that is head coach Rick Tockett. After the team's performance this evening, Brock Besser scoring the lone goal for Vancouver. Vasily Podkolzin and Vitaly Kraftsov, two Russian wingers, had a strong game. A lot of love for them to our text inbox, 650-650. Dunbar Lombardino says, I like to see I like uh, to see that 91 and 92 chemistry out there. A budding third line, question mark. The question I have, if those guys are the third line, who can center that line? That would be an interesting question for next season. How many centers wear number 90? That would be the thing to look at first. Wait, is there one that wears 90 somewhere else? Okay. There's a couple. Maybe. 90, 91, 92? 90. So, you had, uh, so you're saying working? Ryan O'Reilly then signed him as a free Oh. There, there you, you go. go. There you go. Now you're set. I guess the theory would be Atu Ratu. I don't know if he's ready yet. No, but if if Kraftsov meets a baseline for the here and now, uh, would that be a long-term projection? But also you would say if, if some guys hit, do they move up the lineup too? Because I, I can really see Vasily Podkolzin being in a top six role. I think, I mean, as a supporting player in a top six role. Yeah. Like, you know, like he, he'd win a lot of supporting actor awards right, for good players in a top six. Can he be Tanner Pearson with upside is basically yeah, what I would say. Yeah, Quicker, By the way, pacier. Like all the time we talk about forwards for next year, we never talk about Tanner Pearson. Poor anymore. Pearson. I mean... Uh, Honestly, health matters sure, obviously. But I'm not even sure he's going to be healthy by the sure. time start. That's the question: Can he get his surgeries done, and can he get to a point where he can get back playing hockey next season? If he can, he's part of the equation. If not, I mean, even I mentioned this on on Canuck Central earlier. Uh, as far as Tucker Pullman is concerned, sure. I think him. I think he's still trying to get right. Like he's not even right yet in terms of the stuff that he's been dealing with. So until that happens, there's no point of trying to figure out when, if and when he's going to play hockey. And I think it's kind of a similar situation with Pearson. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to bank on both these guys being on LTIR because, hey, it's health. You don't know how it's going to turn. But it doesn't look very good for either of them. I mean, at the very least, we know Pearson's not playing this year. It doesn't sound like we're going to see Pullman back this season. And it's very much a big question mark, not only for the start of next year, but the entirety of the upcoming campaign. So... 
Uh, a lot of two big questions looming injury-wise for the, for those two players. 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep the thoughts coming in. Uh, this one, uh, Jacob from uh, Campbell River says, vibes per 60, put Rod <laughs> 2 between, put Colson and Kravstov yeah, and right. see what happens. Uh, and this one... Um, Caleb, I don't understand the shift selection at the start of the game. They should have put in some better players. It looked like they were on a power play, the Wild, obviously scoring uh, the first goal of the game. And we've seen that recently. Oman, Joshua, uh, together, and Stadnika, obviously, tonight to to, to be a line out there the last couple of games. I uh, was a bit puzzled because you know Kaprizov's out there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit surprised by that as well, but... Hey, maybe it's one of those things you're kind of looking at and saying, like, he, he mentioned, some guys didn't have it tonight. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going with guys that I feel like are going to at least go and hunt pucks. Yeah, on TV timeouts, too, they went out, which was also surprising, but it also led to one of the best shifts that they had all game, where yeah. Miller line went out, got him 45 seconds to a minute, all in the offensive zone after Oman and uh, Joshua mm-hmm. and Sadika had it in the offensive zone and ended with that play where Garland backhand pass into the middle of the ice for... Uh, Beauvillier, who tried sliding it in, that was the best shift that the Canucks had all game. Outside, you know, Kravstov had a chance, and right. he put Coles and tried driving the net. But the best sustained pressure for the Canucks came in a two-minute stretch where it came off of a TV timeout, and Nils Almond line started. He's clearly looking at that line and saying someone that – a line that has an identity for him, and when you're trying to inject some energy into it, I can see why. But to start the game, when you know – Caprizov's yeah. out there. You're in control. You can say, hey, you know what? Maybe for the first shift, That's someone not... else go handle that line. Yeah. Because first goal of the game, real fast. Maybe he got tired of, of, of people saying he's trying to win too hard, Rick Tockett. <laughs> like, don't blame it on me. Keep blaming me for winning hockey. <laughs> Anyways, uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. James and Qualicum Beach, no more salary retention. Use OEL and Myers until their contracts are done. Our goaltending has sucked this year. They'll get a big boost from having Demko back. That's James texting in. This one has a solution for the center for Kraftsov and Putkolzin. Bedard will center Putkolzin Kraftsov line. Call the 90s line. Don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. Don't take it. We'll take Don't it. Don't jinx it. Devin in Saskatoon. Uh, so Bear, Hoaglander, Putkolzin. Why aren't you guys talking about who's going to get dealt? Any of these three gone? Like I said before, it's kind of quiet right now. We'll see what happens by tomorrow. I think Vancouver's open to just about anything. I'm not expecting Putkolzin to get traded. I'm not expecting Hoaglander to get traded. Bear, I, don't, I haven't heard anything, but they added another another righty defenseman, a sk- more skilled righty defenseman. I could do certain things. And if they're looking for. They souped up Ethan Bear, basically. Yeah. Are they looking to keep both those guys on the right side? Or are they looking for different types? And if they are looking for a different type, I think very. Like, I look at Ethan Bear, and I've said this before. He's been a win in terms of what you expected from him. If you can upgrade on what you gave up for him in a trade, do it. That's what I would do. So, would the organization think of it the same way? Well, they have to pay pay Bear at least something next year. They're looking for salary cap money, trying to improve the defense. Mm-hmm. If something's out there, I don't. I think they'll listen to it. I do also believe, Vic, that it's not just about Vancouver looking to shift stuff out. It's about doing other things. There's an mo here, right? They want to move money out so they can go and get somebody else. Do you move something out with an Ethan Bear? Mm-hmm. And then acquire something with the Niels Hoaglander. That's kind of like options, options right? Options. But for you to do, you have to move some money out. 
I think Vancouver is willing to do just about any of this sort of stuff as long as they get value for it. I would agree, though. Maybe don't assume the Miller, yeah, you know, Besser names. You know what I mean? And if you want to get off the Garland names, I think names like that, like that could happen. I'd be very shocked. I'll put Coles in. I think in general they're very invested in him as a, as a player archetype, and also with the supporting cast around him and the Russian vibe they got going on with the players on the team. I think he's part of their plan. And if you're this tight against the cap, and you have value in an ELC player. You're going to need that. Mm-hmm. So just contractually, I think he's just got too much value to be able to say, here's a guy making a million. We can fit other stuff around him because we're tight against it. I just think he's got more value outside of the on ice component of mm-hmm. just how we can build this out because you need to find some value contracts elsewhere. The Jeff in the Mish texting in. Uh, with the remaining trade bait team so strapped for cap space, are the Canucks not in a great position to weaponize some of their LTIR space? Yes, they absolutely were and are. I just don't think we're going to see it. I just don't think... Remember well, this idea that I've pitched to you so many times, Sad, about buying out OEL to weaponize the cap space? Yeah, that's I'm gone. done. You're done. I, I'm, I'm still going to champion the idea of buying them out because if you want to be a right. serious franchise that takes a step forward, you just need better on-ice production. But no longer is the idea of, oh, this rare opportunity is now open because you can open up $7 million of space and get in another asset and do all these things. That's done. They've had their opportunity to do it. They have shown that they don't want to do it. Oh, it's very clear that's not what they're going to do. Fans I mean, can campaign for it and hope for it, but you're at the stage where you're just hoping. I think that's absolutely right. Now, before we build on this, we're going to bring Kevin Woodley into the conversation in just a minute's time. We mentioned, however, we're going to get to some quick player audio. We're going to get to a player who scored a goal tonight, Brock Besser. Not a lot of thoughts, but interesting to hear what he had to say after scoring against his hometown team, a team he's been rumored to get traded to, but has not yet materialized. And here's Brock Besser after a 2-1 loss. We weren't great in the first. Um, thought our second period, we responded well and um, really just couldn't get anything going in the third. So um, there are definitely some parts of our game that were pretty sloppy and gave him some odd man rushes. So we definitely need to clean up that aspect of it. How impressed were you by the pass from Kravtsov on the door? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a great play by him. Uh, he, he saw the lane, made the, made the pass, and luckily I put it in the net. It was nice to score against this team in particular as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, anytime you get to play your hometown team and score against them, it's a good day. And I don't think I've scored since my first ever game, so that was that was nice. Is that one of the better one-timers you feel you've uh, taken in the NHL? Yeah, I don't know. It was it was it wasn't a full one-timer. Just uh, I don't know. I just wanted to get off quick, and luckily it went in the back of the net. What have you seen from Kravtsov? Obviously, beyond the past, what have you seen from his game so far? Yeah, I think he looked a lot more comfortable tonight um, than last game, and um, I thought he made some plays. He worked hard and, and won some puck battles that were that were key. And I thought, you know, their line was in the offensive zone a bit and, and worked hard. So, um, you know, that's that's huge from a new guy to come in and work hard and um, you know, just try to contribute to our team. You said a couple of days ago that this deadline has been different for you. Um, you know, it might be a bit more serious. So for the next 12, 14 hours here, what are you going to go through? Honestly, I'm not too worried. Um, like I said before, I think I'll be here after the deadline, but <clears throat> whatever happens, happens. Uh, it's out of my control. Will it be a relief when it clock hits 12.01 tomorrow? <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, I guess in a way. <laughs> it'll, uh, 
can sit back and relax a little bit. Take the dogs to the beach. <laughs> yeah, take them on a hike or something, we'll see. Uh, that's Brock Besser after 2-1 loss against the Minnesota Wild. Scored a goal tonight and asked yet again about the trade deadline, which for him is mercifully coming to a head in about 13 hours' time at this stage. And to dissect that and a lot more, we have our good friend Kevin Woodley stepping in in Ian McIntyre's spot, trying to get warm under the heat after spending hours at this rink and waiting to talk to Canucks players after yet another loss this season. What's up, Woodley? You guys have a heat lamp. Yeah, it's great. It's awesome. <laughs> you know what doesn't have heat in this building? What? The water in the men's washroom. <laughs> no, so my hands are frozen solid. <laughs> Because I stopped on the way here, and like 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 a good gentleman, I washed them afterwards. And yes, like I literally drink tea every period just to warm my hands after using the washroom there. Like, yeah, like can we get a little hot water in the men's washroom in the Rogers Arena? How much does a hot water tank cost? Those are expensive these days. No, I'm saying uh, really expensive. I had a buddy who was texting me like twenty seven hundred dollars for a hot water tank at his house. So maybe Oof. we should. That's a little much for us in the media. That's what I'm saying. It's you know it's it's not it's not a small it's not a small price. It's not a small price. Uh, Kevin, I need to weaponize <laughs> the hot water. Tank. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how about how we like honestly weaponize like, the <laughs> jokes aside? They could use a little more cold water on the ice. Actually, like, yeah. Honestly, this is a question I have for Rick Tockett to come up, and I haven't had a chance to ask him, and I don't really want to do it in front of the cameras, but he talked today about uh, Philip Heronik mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that the way he gets them out of their zone and, and plays fast and how they want to play fast under his system. And this is a question that hasn't, you know, frankly been asked, but I'm a guy that's in the visiting room post game all mm-hmm. the time, and the complaints about the ice here are consistent. Guys changing blades, changing sharpenings, goalies changing sharpenings because it's so soft. And I'm curious if this team wants to play fast, if they're willing to spend the money to upgrade the ice here. Because it's it's an issue. And it's one that we haven't heard the locals talk about. Well, at least not on the record. Right. But consistently visiting teams talk about it being one of the worst surfaces they have. And if you're going to build a skilled, fast team you got to have an ice surface that they can move fast on without worrying about injuries, and they can move the puck cleanly on without worrying about bounces. Well, and to do that, it, it's not cheap. And this building is now not a No, it's a, it's a big ticket. They need, my understanding is a new dehumidifier. Like, we're talking millions. This is yeah. a big investment. But not, if you're building a team that wants to play fast, it's a necessary investment. I don't disagree, because I mean, but I do think this building, now that it's, what, thirty over 30 years old, it's, one of, it's become one of the older buildings in the league all of a sudden. Like, it... it it needs some it's almost work. as old as Bick. Almost, almost. <laughs> yeah, not quite. Not it's quite. older than Josh. <laughs> Wait, our, baby I, I'm the youngest one here smokes. outside of Josh. Outside of Josh, there's like four of us outside. Like you're halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> you're older than me. I am. I am older than you. All right, uh, but but as far as you know, and that's a very interesting question. But in terms of before we get to all the trade stuff, and since we have you here, Thatcher Demko's played his second game, and Rick Tockett was lauding the efforts of number 35 between the pipes again and said he was swallowing everything up and, and looked locked in. And now this is two straight starts. He's looked really locked in, Thatcher Demko. What do you make of his form being so good as soon as he's back into, into the lineup? Yeah, I don't know if he'd tell you he was locked in in Dallas. Like I think, as he said, he had to accept that there were things in his system and in his game that weren't going to be perfect. I and mean, as he said, he, he laughed after the... The first goal where he right. drifts back into his own net. But he got better as the game went on. He managed it really well. And I had a long chat. Well, not a long chat. But after he did the, the scrum yesterday, I talked to him about, like, the mental challenge. He called it the most difficult sort of start of the game of his career mentally in terms of coming back. And 
the sports psychologist he worked with and, and how he overcame the anxiety. And those are all important steps along the way for him, not just now, but the next time he faces a big moment to have the tools to handle that. And then tonight I thought the game was way cleaner. Mm-hmm. And I was a little worried, not because I have any fears of re-injury or anything like that, but just, you know, like second game back, you're, you traveled after the Dallas game, you come home, and then that ceremony, as good as it was in the tribute and the chants of Gino, by the time we get through the anthems and the and the extra song, like you could see him skating around the crease just trying to stay loose. I was a little nervous about that being your second mm-hmm. game back on this ice, having that all that extra time. But I thought he looked much better, like in terms of his technical game and his structure tonight, like the way he was shifting into shots, the way he was set on plays, it was beat like to me last season, one of the things that jumped out about his performance was he was he was I say I almost wanted to say never but it's it's not quite but it felt like he was never behind a play like mm-hmm. his pace was so good around the crease and um felt like there was a lot more of that tonight just ahead of plays and like you said when you're when you're ahead of plays and you're set and you're square it's easier to eat pucks when you're chasing you're behind and you're not set that's when things go off you and start caroming in all kinds of different directions he just looked really controlled and yeah, like listen. I thought they played a pretty good defensive game. I know they got sort of manhandled on the sh- on the sh- you know sort yeah. of possession and shot clock. Yeah, other than Kaprizov who had what nine shots tonight. I don't think they had a ton. It was pretty low event overall. Yeah, I mean, and hey, but that's mini too, right? Yeah. Like, let's not get carried away about that. I mean, it was definitely not low event in Dallas. No, nope. I mean, Clearside <laughs> had them over five goals expected yeah. in that one, and and Thatcher was really good. I'd be curious to see what the numbers look like tomorrow morning on this one. The Wild, the team that uh, you know doesn't score a lot. They're used to winning. What they've they've got points in eight straight. Mm-hmm. Seven of those eight games have been one goal games. Mm-hmm. The, and the the other one, the only game that wasn't a one goal game was a two nothing win. So yeah. like they're used to playing these games. They, you know, Dean Evison talked about it after the game. Like what he liked about the game is yeah, I mean they could use somebody else scoring other than ninety seven, uh, as good as he is at it. Um, and yeah, they would have liked to have converted on the five on three and put this thing away a little earlier. But this team is comfortable playing low-scoring, low low-event, one-goal games. They don't open up. They don't chase mm-hmm. to the point where they get – like, how many odd-man rushes the Canucks have, to, Canucks have tonight? I'm thinking, like, there was one Nils Oman, was that a shorthanded Nils, one? They had two in the second where Miller didn't pass it and Nils Oman didn't pass right, it. Right, and one of those was shorthanded, high. too. So, yeah. like, like, for the most part, like, they just don't give up a ton. And Fleury yeah. was really good again tonight. So, you know, in a lot of ways – uh, as much as it might not be the sexiest brand of hockey, I think there's elements of how the Wild play that you know maybe not exactly in terms of system and structure, but in terms of mindset, mentality, uh, and decision making. And I, I think there's a lot of what the Wild do that. And we heard Rick Tockett praise them this morning in the in the media availability. I think there's a lot of what you saw tonight that the Canucks would like to see out of their team in terms of discipline and the way they take care of the puck and are on the right side of it and don't chase and force turnovers that create all kinds of chaos and odd man rushes. Uh, it was a combined 23 minutes for the two Russian wingers. Uh, much better performance and time on ice for them relative to what they played last game. Uh, impressions on them because they felt pretty active. Okay, hold on. There's a whole bunch of Russians in this game. You're confusing Kravstov me. and Putkolzin. Okay, like, listen. Sorry. Okay, who were both, like, bitter NHL writer guy. No Kaprizov yeah. post-game media. So no quotes mm-hmm. from one of the best players in the league, but he doesn't like to speak he without only a translator. But guess who Guess who he was speaking to outside of the locker room when we talked to Dean Everson? Paul Colson? And Kravtsov. And Kravtsov. So yeah. they like to get together there. Um, obviously a great pass. You see the skill mm-hmm. when he makes that. I mean, not just a seam pass, but from low high down around the goal line, spots Brock for, for a good one-timer. 
um, you see the talent there. I thought Pod Colson. There were times where you know Minnesota takes care of the front of their net, and they're they're sort of they like the way they play in and around the front of their net and behind their net, and the way they play physically, defensively. And I thought there were times where Pod Colson, like to borrow a you know a descriptor that that Rick Tockett's used for him in, in in recent weeks, he was a bull out there, right? Yeah. Like he he had that sort of presence, and you know like. We'll see where the finish ultimately ends up for him, but you like his style of game, even if the the results aren't always going to be there. You know, I think they see a lot in what he can do for you in terms of again, much like the wild, like that style of play. And so, yeah, I mean, there's there's still upside there. We'll see. Forcing that play of just trying to jam it towards the net, I like much more than the idea of like what led to the second goal of forcing that pass into the middle of the ice by Brock. Like those are the style of plays where you might lose. But I don't mind trying to force some physical contact and get the puck to a prime area. Yeah, no, like I mean, and again, like I, I hate to say it, but much like like did you, how many how many forced pucks did you see Minnesota make tonight? Yeah, fair. Like, yeah, like that's how that's how they play, right? And so I I I think that, and we've talked about this for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I've been banging my head against this wall for years. Every time I'm on either one of your guys' shows on a weekly basis, like. You can't win in the NHL if you can't defend. Mm-hmm. These habits matter, and this group, through multiple coaches, has either been unable or unwilling to embrace them. And I think, as much as we have to be wary that it's end of season, um, and there will be opponents that are going to come in here and overlook this team, yep. I think we at least see the start of those habits being formed and hopefully sticking, and we see a coach who is more than willing to call them out when they're not. Upholding to, them, at the very least. Yeah, holding them to a standard. And we'll see. Again, none of this matters till next season, because we've seen it before. Yeah. But we've seen them win before in other ways. Like, to me, some of those structural things that this management group has talked about seem to be falling into place. Not perfectly, but, like, to the point where you can hang with teams that are much better than you, despite having... What? How many NHL defensemen were in the lineup tonight? For Vancouver? One NHL defensemen. There's one, in, yeah, one. Uh, yeah, like full time, and that's n- no disrespect, but like a lot of these guys are, you know, for the most part, for most of their careers, have been American yeah. League guys, and they hung with a team that's headed to the playoffs. And because you, at least you're playing this. Like, if you limit, if you limit your mistakes by staying in position and playing within yourself, you make the game short. It's like in football, we talk about, you know, by, by sure. limiting possessions, making the game shorter. You're almost keeping things to the outside, but which makes this game shorter. Time runs out without things happening, and. That's how a game like this, with Minnesota being way better, stole one goal game if you get a couple of saves. Well, but also it's how Minnesota, yeah, like is winning. Like they've scored seven goals in their last three games. Yeah, Kirill Kaprizov has five of them. Right, like yeah. they won a game two games ago, three two. He had a natural hat trick yeah. in the clinton the winner in overtime. <laughs> they win two one with incredible. two tonight. Like yeah. if as a group you don't give up much, you don't have to have like four lines of like crazy offensive firepower, mm-hmm. right? Like the Canucks have enough game breakers, maybe not quite to the level yet of a Kaprizov, but they've got enough game breakers. They've got a power play that if they generate chances, they will score. Yeah. The question to me has always, and they've got a goalie that can stand on his head, but for how many years have they leaned far too heavily on the goaltenders? Again, it ain't perfect. We're, <laughs> Dallas was wide open. I mean, mm-hmm. hey, welcome back after three months off. Here's five breakaways in the first, like, 30 minutes of the games. Are, are you kidding me? So it ain't perfect. It ain't fixed. But, you know, again, tonight, against a team that's a little more pop gun, they didn't open it up too much. They, no. I mean, yeah, you're right, Vic. They, there was mistakes there that led mm-hmm. to, goal, to to that second goal, but 
for the most part, we're seeing more adherence to what you need to do to win. And again, I, I hate to come back to the wild, but I just got out of that room. I'm like, that's all they're talking about. As long as we take care of our own end, we're not worried about these 2-1 games. We're comfortable playing them. We trust our goaltenders. And listen, I know people, like, as a goalie guy, like, like I think the union's going to take away my card if I pull a timely save thing out of my butt here. But legitimately, like, Flurry only faced, what, 20? How many? Like, 22, 22 shots. He yeah. had 21 saves, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't busy. That's not an easy night. No. When you have no margin for error. But... But when the chances are predictable in terms of where they come from, like how many times, like Flurry made some good saves. How many times do you have to scramble around like yeah. a chicken with his head cut off, which he's really good at, by the way. Like the he two didn't. ones that stand out are like the off the face off ones, where the one that landed for Patterson, the one that landed for Garland. But even then, it's like he's in the right spot and he's there. Yeah. Outside of that, there weren't a lot of. Flurry shuffling to get to a spot. Make the game no. predictable. Yeah. You know, for yeah, the goaltenders. And, and, and again, but even as a goalie, like it, what they're doing is, is not as easy as it seems. Like low shot games where yeah. you have to make those, those saves, but they're easier when you know where they're coming from. Yeah. I just, I just think like, I like a lot of, we'll see the wild could be out in the first round again, but I like a lot of their game. It was 22 on net and 40 total attempts for the Canucks. Yeah. Crossbar in there. I think that was, that was Pedersen hit the crossbar. Um, and that was pretty Garland, much yeah. Garland. Garland, like, yeah, that's, those. Are, I mean, Garland they, had the he had the flurry, uh, yeah, a little the extra sauce, like, yeah. little sauce but on it. It's going about a foot wide, little Probably. little windmill around the world. And it's, and it's hey, a fans pay for tickets. You, yeah, it's you a gotta gar- show them something. It's also, I, love, I love flour. Do you know the last time flour? And, and we got to credit Joey Kenward for sending me this stat. I don't know if he put it on Twitter, but he sent it to me. You know the last time flour lost in this building was when December ninth, two thousand and three. Oh man! Now he's only played eight times here, but he's fifteen three and two all time against That's the Canucks. Twenty years ago, dude, he was eighteen years old. He was a rookie, and me and him post game both remembered it like identical because it was Marcus Naslin scored all four goals, <laughs> including the overtime winner. And like, so I'm in the room, and I'm like, you know, you haven't lost here since two thousand and three. And he looks up at me and goes, Naslin, that bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so because funny. I remember after, because it was like, he's an 18-year-old kid. And I yeah. remember, I'm like three years into the job. I'm like, hey, like if it makes you feel better. He was headed to World Juniors. Like, it was the last game before World Juniors. He was leaving like two days later. And he's he's an 18-year-old kid in the NHL behind a, a Pittsburgh team that was, was dreadful. Yeah, yeah, terrible. And he was the future, and he was getting, he was underwater. And it's like, hey, if it makes you feel better, like you're going to the World Juniors, and the guy that just, you know, beat you four times, he holds, I think it was the record for points at the World Juniors with him and Forsberg or whatever. Yeah. Like, and so we had a good chuckle about it tonight because he remembered. He remembered that game too. <laughs> that is amazing. That's a great story. We won't end it there. We just quickly before we let you go, uh, expecting any more fireworks from the Canucks by the deadline tomorrow? I leave that to you, insiders. <laughs> I am very much an outsider. You want to geek out on goaltending and have Marcus, you know, Marcus Naslin called a bastard by Marc Andre Fleury post game? <laughs> I'm in. Other than that, I don't know what's going to happen. But I will say this: I hope. Because I was pretty critical yesterday, and yeah. I gave them the out of if there's another move coming, and they were on the phone the whole time. Because yeah. I've said it before, and I know other people have railed even harder. I'm willing to grant some leniency here if there is more coming, but I do find it somewhat unacceptable that we're four trades, including a significant, like, you know, major assets going out yesterday without hearing from management. I think mm-hmm. that if you're going to preach accountability from your players and your coaching staff and this higher standard you want, yeah. you owe your fans some accountability when you make moves as big as that, and especially when it's been four moves in a whole week. And I get it. They're going to talk at the end of the deadline, and if there's more moves coming, then I guess that's justifiable. But I looked around the league. Dubas has talked almost every day mm-hmm. this week, and 
you know, to me in this market in particular, I, I think that I think that's a misread. I don't know what the mindset is behind it, but I think that's a misread, and I, and I you know, maybe I'm just a, becoming a bitter old media man. No, but no, I, I, I think it's it. fair. I think Bick and I both agree on it, this. Just, yeah, you can't for the past 13 months talk about how important Luke Shannon is to the organization and then trade him and then not talk. And, and that's also, like, it's just it's puzzling. And, and also talk about it's a longer term build. We're not going to trade first round yeah. picks and talk about the future assets in the Horvat deal well, and how important wins. they are. Like, and it's okay. Yesterday, it's more about you know just talking about the them. first three are wins, right? Like you went out and got a top ten pick in Kravtsov. Like it's a good bet, right? You got futures for Shen, but I think Shen and the and yeah. the, as a fan favorite deserve more than just a press release line. Um, you turn Stillman into a prospect. Like, no, these are nobody wins. in their right minds can look at the Stillman trade as a bad trade. Like, no, that was no, like a and, great trade. And I just think yesterday was significant enough yeah. that we needed to hear that voice. And you know, maybe again, maybe I'm being overly critical, but I, I don't think so. Like I'm, I'm old enough to remember 2003 and Marcus yeah. Nadlin scoring four <laughs> goals. I've been around, and I cannot remember a time in this market when the management staff made this many moves in this period of time and never yeah. once spoke to it. I don't, and and I, yeah, I don't disagree. I think a lot of fans want to hear from him as well. Hopefully, we, we, we will, will hear tomorrow from, for tomorrow sure. We'll hear from them. We'll, we'll see if there's more to come, and and then I will back off some of my criticism because the the picture. I can understand maybe not wanting to speak to an incomplete picture, but other GMs and other markets. Ken Holland did media when they traded Jesse Pugliarvi for crying out loud. Listen, you can you can chew gum and walk at the same time. You can talk about the trades you've made and say, maybe hey, you. we have other things we're going to do. We're not going to get into it, and we'll talk more tomorrow. You can do that as well. But anyways. As long as I don't have show. to chew gum and walk <laughs> at the same time, because <laughs> I'm not that yeah. good, guys. <laughs> Woodley, great stuff as always. Make sure to read his latest on NHL.com. In Gold Magazine oh, not tonight. Well. Don't do that. There's no Pulitzer Prizes on tonight's story. <laughs> <laughs> There's always. a paycheck coming. That's about all I can hope for. <laughs> Listen, that's that's still gravy, man. I'm telling you. Great stuff from Woodley as always. Thanks for pitching, uh, stepping in for our man Ian McIntyre tonight. I hope he's getting better. Bick Nazar, you can check him out on the People Show tomorrow. Special show starting at 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock. There you go. I'm Satyar Shaw at 3 o'clock till 6 o'clock on Connect Central. An extra hour. Thanks to Josh Elliott Wolf and Fast Eddie Gregory. And for you all listening, being part of the show on the Home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.